0: Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right, my friends. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk, and I'm your host, Todd Huff. You can email me. Yes, I will allow it. Thoughts, opinions, feedback, questions, even lavish adoration and praise. Lavish. It's got to be lavish, though. Welcome to the program. You know, At the end of the program yesterday, I mentioned something that I want to talk about briefly this morning. I mentioned um, the Derek Chauvin verdict, the Derek Chauvin trial, the case uh, pertaining to uh, – well, just the, the verdict itself and um, – there was a juror... Now, a couple of things. There was a juror immediately... I, I should pause. That's a, a An alternate juror... Who, during an interview... Made the claim that... She took into consideration... Now, she was just an alternate... But she took into consideration... What might happen to her city... If... In the form of riots and... Um, you know... Looting and that sort of thing... If... She were a juror. She she alluded to that. That, that my friend, should not—I understand. I understand. She's a human being, and that's uh, probably an honest answer, but that should have nothing to do with whether or not you think an individual committed such a heinous act, broke the law, um, killing, was responsible for the death of, whether it be through a uh, form of murder or manslaughter— For that person to give up his liberty in exchange for the – or I guess as a consequence for committing the heinous crime, that what should matter is only what the person did as the evidence can prove and whether or not that eclipsed a reasonable doubt that that individual, regardless of his name, regardless of his race, regardless of the consequences, regardless – of whether or not he was a civilian or an officer of the law, you look at that and you say this person is guilty, and if they are guilty, then they should face the consequences. In your estimation, if they if that meets the requirement of guilt as a juror, if they are not guilty, nothing else should play into your consideration. Nothing. Now, as a human being, I understand. I understand that. But this is precisely... The sort of thing the founders did not want to see in our criminal so-called justice system. This is <clears throat> now. I'm not making any claim on the verdict itself. You know that I'm not. That to me, I, I I leave that to the jurors. They know better than I. They were presented with the evidence, the arguments. They were instructed by the judge. There were things and discussions that happened in that jury room that I I just you know. This is the system this is we have we have to trust the system, and unless there's direct evidence to suggest otherwise, I'm going to trust the jury did what they believed was the right thing to do. I know there's a variety of opinions on this, but again, having served as a juror i I do definitely respect the process it is a it is a beautiful thing our criminal justice system here in the United States. Of America, but now, in addition to that alternate juror raising um making comments about being influ or at least taking into consideration or being mindful of or not wanting to see riots in her city in the wake of the verdict, which who would like again, who would want to see that but again, that should not have any bearing on your on your decision and what you do and and I'm not saying it did, not she was just an alternate but you begin to see – you hear things like that and you begin to you know, ask questions. Now there's another juror, Brandon Mitchell. He was a juror in the trial of Derek Chauvin. Um, and now there's questions about whether or not he even should have been on the jury. And I mentioned at the end of yesterday's program – that this is the sort of thing, and I'm not making predictions. I don't really get into that business here. But this is the sort of thing that I guess is a precursor, potential precursor to a mistrial being ruled. In fact, Derek Chauvin, uh, his legal team, has now asked has now asked for a new trial over this. And so why is this being uh, requested? Well, this juror, Brandon Mitchell, he um, could have – I'm looking at an article here in Newsmax. In fact, I'll just read the first couple paragraphs here. A juror in the Derek Chauvin murder trial may have jeopardized the guilty verdict by attending the march on Washington last summer but declaring on a juror questionnaire that he didn't, legal experts say. Brandon Mitchell was seen in a social media photo taken in Washington, D.C., wearing a T-shirt with Martin Luther King's image, surrounded by the words, get your knee off our necks and BLM, which of course means Black Lives Matter, according to the Star Tribune. So now this may seem like, okay, it's just someone wearing a T-shirt, but the thing is, when you are selected for a jury... You have to be able to demonstrate to the court, to the prosecution and the defense, that you are going to be a, an unbiased participant on that jury, that you have no preconceived ideas or opinions about the case because oftentimes, in, a, in an ideal circumstance, people don't know anything about the trial. They don't, they don't see anything in the media. Everything they hear about it is strictly what happens in that courtroom. Because again, you don't want people biased either direction, right? I mean, this, this should all go without saying. You want people to make the decision who are on that jury based upon the evidence presented and how they analyze, prioritize, and um, I guess synthesize and analyze the information. And then they can determine if the defendant is guilty or not guilty, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That should be the process. Now, in a case like Derek Chauvin's trial, where um, there is a huge media, a huge media coverage, it's very, very hard to find people who don't know anything. In fact, the the threshold turns from basically not having any knowledge about it whatsoever to. Can you just demonstrate that you are uh, an unbiased juror, or you haven't made up your mind? And so that's that's where jurors, you know, these questionnaires matter—the things that are on that questionnaire to determine whether or not you are, I I guess, have made a, a, a. you, you've made a decision as to whether or not you think someone is guilty or innocent before you've heard the case. That's what they don't – the court doesn't want that. We shouldn't want that. Even if he deserves a guilty verdict, we shouldn't want the guilty verdict to come from people who have made up their minds prior to hearing the evidence. Again, this stuff should go all without saying. But now we're in a position because because someone has gone and found this picture of him at a Black Lives Matter Rally that seems to at least open the possibility that he, the juror, Brandon Mitchell, may have, um, you know, had some preconceived opinions about this, about law enforcement, about George Floyd in particular, and Derek Chauvin, and that the court cannot allow. So, whether or not that picture is enough to again you you look at the media pressure here you look at you look at the pressure that the judge is under if you declare that a mistrial i just again this should not factor in to the decision but you know that it does you know that people i, I should i shouldn't say factor into the decision maybe it at least crosses someone's mind you know i don't want to be the one responsible for declaring a mistrial maybe this you know that, Perhaps I'm not suggesting the judge is really thinking this, but it would be one certain possibility here is that the judge is thinking, I don't want to be responsible for this. You know, I sat through the trial. The evidence um, justified the verdict that was reached. So I'm not going to de- you know, de- uh, declare a mistrial here and have to go through this all again and then potentially have the city of Minneapolis destroyed in the process. Again, I'm not suggesting he is thinking that. I can just conceive of a situation where that would at least be tempting for someone to think. Meanwhile, we have an individual in Derek Chauvin who um you know may not have gotten unbiased justice. He may have. I'm just saying that I haven't said anything about any of this stuff until it starts to to come out here. In the news. And now we know, in addition to that juror, that alternate juror who was at least thinking about potential violence in her city based upon the verdict in the trial, now we have a juror, an actual juror, not an alternate. One of the twelve that cast his vote for George or excuse me, Derek Chauvin being guilty. Now we have reason to at least question ask questions we should be able to ask questions as to whether or not he should have even been selected I just go back to when again when when I've been on a jury if you've been on a jury as well you know the process you sit I'm sure it's different from county to county or location to location the specifics but we got called up to the jury box I think I was juror number six when I got there and it was it was one of the bigger trials in our county which doesn't have a lot of a lot of, you shouldn't say bigger trial, but just, just one that has more maybe media coverage and that sort of thing. And, and you go up to the box and they ask you questions. They ask you questions to determine whether or not you can be fair-minded, whether or not you can be objective, whether or not um, you have any preconceived notions or biases against either one way or the other. I mean, I remember sitting in the box and this is, public knowledge in the sense that it because it was a public this part is public and the attorneys are asking questions and the guy i was sitting next to he said i think if someone is charged with a crime against a child they're guilty period you know basically just hang him he didn't say that but in a sense it's kind of the feeling and so he obviously wasn't selected the the defense says i don't want that guy on the jury he's not going to even consider the possibility that my client who the defense acknowledged um, was less than was a less than admirable person a guy that was actually the defense even acknowledged a, a bad guy but that is not what he was on trial for he was on trial for specifically these charges and if you won't at least hear out whether or not the state has proven beyond a reasonable doubt the charges that have been Filed against the D, the the defendant, then you um, are not fit for a jury. So some of the things I heard just from people in that box during the pretrial hearing was was kind of astonishing to me. Astonishing to me, and then the little things like, you know, well, I think the defense attorney asked um, if, you know. If you had to decide right now whether the defendant was guilty or not guilty, what would you decide? And people, a lot of people said, I don't know, which I guess in one sense I understand, but in another sense the answer is not guilty because no evidence (laughs) had been presented yet. Right? You could say, "I, I don't know because I need to hear the evidence. Okay, I understand it, but if you were, if you had to make your, you know, your verdict at this particular point in time, what would it be? And I, I said it's not guilty because I've not heard any evidence. It's not the defendant's job to prove his guilt- his innocence. It's the plaintiffs or excuse me the uh the state's attorney's job to prove his or her guilt and it's amazing to me how little how little some folks seem to understand about some of these these um very important foundational uh, underpinnings of our legal system and, and society. So there you go. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not predicting by any stretch of mistrial, but it, this is, this begins to be problematic. And I hope, I look, I hope nothing else comes out. I hope that that jury was not impacted or, or influenced in any other way. I hope this is just um, something that, uh, you know, that is just kind of a rare. Uh, one-off and and of course we know what the the alternate juror if this guy would have been removed during the trial if this had been found out during the trial and they said let's replace him we know one of the alternate jurors said she would have voted not or excuse me voted guilty on all charges as well so there is that to, to consider but anyway this is this is a problematic thing in criminal justice system and to see, and for a trial this large, and the implications it has, and how much all of america um is is watching this sort of thing, it's important it's always important that the the trial follow the rule of law and now there's some questions here, and this is the sort of thing that could balloon hope well I hope it doesn't, but it could balloon into something larger because of the very strict process that the courts must follow in conducting trials like this. So timeout is in order. I wanted to share that off the top. You are listening here to America's Realities are self-appointed. I know Biden was asked to have one of these from the New York, by the New York Times, and I am volunteering my services. I think I'd be a good fit there, President Biden. So here I am. America's Realities are. I'll be back here in just a minute. My friends, and if you are listening to us on Freedom 95, I I made a mistake here this morning and I do apologize. There's some connections I have to make and I thought that they were made and they were not. So the first segment of the program you're going to have to catch on iTunes or Facebook as long as we're allowed to be there. And again, my apologies for that. We talked about Derek Chauvin and just um, some of the recent... I don't know, some of these um, just with the jury, uh, one of the, the jurors who didn't appear answer his questionnaire correctly, or there's some concern as to whether or not he may have had uh, some bias heading into that. He may not have, but just there's questions out there now about that. So we talked about that last, last segment. And again, my apologies, it's 100 percent my fault my fault here this morning. We did something a little bit different and I didn't know we weren't connected. So, my apologies on that. Okay. So, I want to so I I think there's a couple things I want to get to here and I'm I'm thinking about how I want to go about discussing them. Um I'm looking here. I saw Franklin Graham was tweeting uh was trending on Twitter today or actually last night into this morning, and he tweeted out yesterday um, an article, an article written by his father, Billy Graham. He tweeted this out yesterday. I'm deadly serious when I say that our country is falling apart at the seams. We cannot stand, we cannot last unless something takes place in our country, and it must be a... Spiritual and Moral Awakening. And he's got a um, a link to an article written by his father, Billy, that's entitled Revival or Disintegration. Now I'm a little confused on this because it says by Billy Graham, but then it says May 1st, 2021. Billy Graham's been dead. I don't know. Maybe this is an older... Anyway... Could be an older article that he's repurposed, but I want to talk a bit about this 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 concept of what's I think going on in America, and I've got some other things. I've got Joy, Joy Reid versus Tucker Carlson out there. I've got you know, th- there's all sorts of things around on the horizon. I wrote even in a sense a little bit about what I'm about to to say here with in this week's column which will be emailed out well it's going to go out again this morning um, our, our weekly column but there are divisions and I hadn't read this before uh, I just I just saw this this morning but there are divisions in America I think that that is undeniable at this particular point in time and you could say that those divisions are deep and wide you can say that the emotions are run high there are some diametrically opposed viewpoints and this it ranges from people who want to fundamentally change America as founded they want to change our system of economics from free market capitalism to socialism we have folks who truly revere and love the constitution as i do we have folks that thinks think that it is absolutely an atrocious Uh, documents that there needs to be things in there in the constitution that tell you what the government is supposed to do for you we have disagreements on the size and scope of our government what it should be doing the democrats are now trying to pass a four trillion with the t four trillion dollar infrastructure bill i don't think anyone would argue that infrastructure is something that's actually a a role of the federal government not not all infrastructure but federal infrastructure certainly a role of our federal government something it actually should be spending money on and investing in but four trillion that to get i mean we're talking about a hundred percent of what annual spending is normally back before covid and we started you know spending money like it was I mean, there, there was no end, which there's news on COVID as well. Biden's out there masking up outside publicly, but he's cozying up next to the Carter uh, family, former President Jimmy Carter, getting up close and personal with the picture. By the way, that picture is an odd-looking picture as well, if you haven't seen it. But we spend money like there's no tomorrow. But before COVID... I mean, we were spending roughly around four trillion it was on a four four and a half trillion I think is what america was was spending every year now we're looking at an infrastructure bill itself that's four point I think it's four point one trillion dollars potentially so there's there's disagreement and this is I think the first thing i I want people to understand, and I do not disagree with the title here like we are at a crossroads in america we are we're at a crossroads. And we have to decide where we're going to go and what we're going to do about this. But America's always been divided in some sense, and I'm—I go back to the Revolutionary War, and historians will tell you. And I wrote about this again in the column, which you can get for free, toddfshow.com/slash subscribe. But historians will tell you that roughly, roughly during the time of the American Revolution, you know, as a as a young kid, I think I had it in my head that. The founders, or, you know, the founders and the colonists almost said, hey, all at one time in unison, we've had enough of this. We're going to declare our independence from the throne. No more King George, no more British rule. We're tired of this. We're tired of taxation without representation. We're tired, about, we're tired of uh, the way that, that we're being punished. We're tired of the Stamp Act and the Sugar Act and all this stuff, all this, this pettiness. We've had it. We're done with the tyranny. It's over. We've had it. But the truth is that was only about a third of the people. A third of the people had had enough. There were still two-thirds. Heck, one-third of the people, roughly, again, I don't want to get into it with some historian, but this is roughly true. One-third of the people remained loyal to to the crown, royal to the British Empire. And another third basically said, I don't want to be bothered with this. I want to live my life and not have to decide if we're going to fight for independence or remain loyal to the crown. I'm just out here in the colonies. I, you know, I've, I'm out here in the frontier, basically, trying to just make ends meet. Don't bother me with this. I got other problems, other things to think about. But it was that one third, roughly, of the colonists who organized and who came together and freed America from the tyrannical rule of the British Empire. And so there's always been a degree of... Separ- there's been times where America's come together. World War II is a great example, I think. But there's always been groups of in opposition. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. The problem is sometimes that gap is getting wider. And sometimes the gap is getting even uh, I, almost more irre- irreconcilable. And so I want to talk a little bit about this because I think that there's actually a silver lining. to I do. I think there's a silver lining to this. I think I'm a, a bit of a natural optimist here, so I will say that. But I really do believe that there is a silver lining to our problems. And for those of you hearing my voice today that want to, I hear this question, what do I do? Well, I think there's some things we can do. I don't know that there are always the things that people want to hear because it requires a little bit of i don't know it requires a little bit of tough work, maybe some discomfort or uh, you know being prepared to put yourself in a position that you know could could cause problems with with someone. It shouldn't, and I think there's ways to avoid that but it's, it cr- makes people vulnerable. So there's some things we can do. There's a silver lining to this, and I want to get to this on the other side of the break, but I've got to take a time out. So that being said, you're listening here, the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. friends this program is brought to you in part in part by our friends at Indy Dental Sleep look you may be married to someone who has problems snoring at night you may be this morning a little bit tired because maybe you were kept up by your partner snoring maybe you were kept up by your own snoring it can be a real problem. Indidental Sleep has a sleep device that is an alternative to CPAP that is not so cumbersome. CPAP's an alternative for, for some folks, but for mild to moderate sleep apnea, they have a sleep device that is covered by most medical insurance. There's also other options like a cash option, and they can help that may be able to help you. Now it's just for mild to moderate sleep apnea, but this is a good portion of the cases that um, of sleep apnea out there. Not everyone is to the point of you know needing something like CPAP. So visit indydentalsleep.com to schedule a free consultation. Be sure to put my name, Todd Huff, on that referral form. But IndyDentalsleep.com, mild to moderate sleep apnea. They can see there's, again, a free consultation to kind of go over some things with you and see if you're a candidate for this sleep device, again, covered by most medical insurance. Check it out. If you're tired this morning, whether you were snoring, not getting a good night's sleep, or maybe you were not able to sleep because of the snoring uh, from your partner, it might be time to check it out. IndieDentalSleep.com. Be sure to tell them that Todd sent you. So... Talking about these things, I said there was a silver lining last segment. I said that there was a a silver lining to the tension that we have. And I, I've mentioned this before, but I, I think in my in my time following this, which is now approaching a while twenty five plus years and following politics and so forth. But I think I think that we have reached a point where there's no longer an option to be disengaged, right? Everything is political today. Everything, what you eat, what you drink, what you drive, what you wear, you know, where you send your kids to school, uh, everything. Where you, Do you wear a mask outdoors while jogging? Do you wear a mask in your car by yourself driving down the interstate and everything in between, right? And do you get the vaccine? All everything political, political, political. There's no getting away from this. It is exhausting to people it is and a lot of people say I'm checking out I I get that I have I have good friends that follow politics closely and they'll say I've taken I've just checked out it's just too much I don't see it that way it doesn't wear me down because these things I think are I just think we're at a moment where people people can be persuaded now there are people on the fringe who are never going to be persuaded. There's hardcore communists and socialists out there. There are. And they're not going to be persuaded. They have no interest. They want freebies. They hate America. They've bought into the rhetoric of the hate America first crowd. And they are completely convinced that this nation is just a stain on humanity. They are. They're convinced of that. But that is not most people. That is not most Democrats. Look, folks— you know, I'm a conservative. I I, I don't call myself a Republican. I, I mean, I I vote Republican usually. I I say usually, usually because sometimes I don't. Um, I I mean, I can't currently vote for a Democrat, but there are some other maybe independents or even Libertarian candidates in some instances that I could that I could support but even even democrats that unless you're in a place like San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, heck maybe Bloomington, I don't I don't know. But unless you're in a place like one of these extreme cities, extremely radical cities. Portland, for example, Antifa is basically calling for the life of the democrat mayor. The democrat mayor is not enough for the radical leftists Uh, the radical anarchists, I should say, in Antifa, whatever, however you want to identify that group, the radical, uh, complete, just completely insane sometimes folks at Antifa, who, by the way, Biden says is just an idea, not really even a group, which whatever that means. But so unless you're in a place like that, I mean, the average rank and file Democrat is not embracing this radical ideology. In fact, a lot of Democrats I've shared on here before are single issue voters. They may be a union Democrat, meaning they may be conservative in a whole lot of ways, but because they're union, they're afraid that republicans they've been they've been scared into believing Republicans are there to take away their benefits and their ability to form a union and so forth, and so they vote Democrat, even though they're pro gun they're pro-free you know, speech, they're pro-freedom of religion, they're pro-Second Amendment. Some of these folks will vote Democrat because of that fear. Although some folks vote, are conservative in a lot of ways, but they're pro-choice and they'll vote Democrat over the issue of pro-choice because they find that appalling because they bind to the narrative that Republicans want to tell women what to do with their bodies. Again, it's not... The woman's body I have a problem with, it's the body of the unborn child in the womb that Republicans, conservatives anyway, are concerned about. That person's, even though that person's not fully developed, neither's an infant, folks. Neither is a child. They're they're growing. I mean, this is, you know, life begins at conception. Scientifically, you want to talk about a pro-science position, right there's one. Lay that on your radical leftist friends who... Act like you're anti science. Tell them I'm pro science because I believe life begins at conception. What are they going to say about that? I mean, there's, that's an undeniable fact. But the point is the point is that a lot of people agree with a lot of what I'm speaking to my conservative listeners now, a lot of what you believe. Now, they may not like the name Trump, they may not like the term Republican. But if you can keep some of those things out of the discussion and just – you'll find agreement on issues. I'm telling you. I have countless examples, and maybe I share a couple of those on the other side of the break. But I think even though we are at a crossroads, even though we are divided, and even even though those divisions are often very emotional and sometimes very deep, there's also a lot, notwithstanding the radical fringe groups, a lot of agreement that average Americans – can have, and that to me is the silver lining. We just have to be better persuading people. That's why we have CNBU, Conservative Not Bitter University, because I think, I think I can help folks because of my experiences um, be better at communicating and convincing people to the principles of constitutional conservatism. So, timeouts in order. Gotta take a break. Back here in just a minute. Again, I think we have a tremendous opportunity on our hands here. I really do. And sometimes it's, it's I don't know, difficult or uncomfortable. But I'll tell you, there's some, a couple of things that I've, that I've learned. And I'll, uh, there, there's an individual, I will not mention her name, but she told me when we first met, Todd, I'm a liberal Democrat. And believe it or not, she actually worked with us for some time. And I said, that's fine. You know, can you do the job I'm asking you to do? And she said that she could. And for the longest time, she would, well, for the first couple of, I would say first couple of weeks, it was almost like she wanted to, you know, prod me into having a a fight. And she would come in and start going off on Trump or some such thing on on the telephone usually. I didn't see her in person a whole lot. And I just let her go. Sometimes we would meet for lunch or whatever, and I'd let her go. And I just I wouldn't say much. I know people think you had a talk show. You you, know, you come in with these one line zingers. That is I'm um, that is not how you persuade people. You, anyone out there listening to my voice read a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I've listened to it and read it a couple of times now, and it's the def- that that book in and of itself. If you would take the principles, not, you know, if we would take the principles, if Americans would take the principles and the the lessons outlined in that book and apply those to the way that we um, articulated or tried to persuade people, it's not a complete, there's some other things that need to be done too, but it's a pretty darn good start. It's a a beautiful book, excellent book, but I, I let her for the longest time just say whatever she wanted and eventually... One time, she asked me my thought, and I then shared it, and surprisingly, without compromising any of my principles, we found a huge amount of agreement. In fact, if I told you the percentage, I wouldn't—the percentage of agreement between her, a self-identified liberal Democrat, and me was not as big as you would imagine without me compromising any of the—any conservative principles, and— One time she told me that, Todd, I could never vote for a conservative Republican, but I could support you. And and I told her, no, that's not true. You just know me, and we've had the opportunity to dialogue. This would be true for most conservatives I know, but you have an image in your mind of what I was before you got to know me and what I really thought because of how the media is misrepresented and so forth. So anyway, that's all the time I got to share about that, but you get the idea. The same can happen – in all of our worlds, if this happens collectively on a massive scale, we can, we can move the needle on this. Got to take a break. Back in a minute. Welcome back. There is a silver lining. There is. There's a silver lining in with where we stand today. Now, again, the divisions can still be deep, they can still be wide. And again, I write more about this at the with our weekly column, our email newsletter, totally free, dot slash subscribe. That'll go out here a little bit later this morning. But we have an opportunity before ourselves. We do. We have an opportunity before ourselves. And I was at an an event recently, Indiana Right to Life event, and there were a couple of U.S. senators there, and one of them was Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. And she said, she said the most influential news outlet is what? It's not CNN, it's not Fox, not MSNBC, it's not Newsmax, it's not OAN. She says it's Y-O-U, it's you. She said studies show that Americans look to friends more for news that they trust than anywhere else. So we have more impact than we think. I got to go STG see you tomorrow. Take care. I-